Hey, hey, we want to thank Bill.com for being a sponsor of the Thrivecast. Our firm, Blummer CPAs, has used Bill.com as a foundational part of our tech stack for many, many years. We're a virtual firm, and we work with clients virtually all over the U.S., and so we have to have a virtual platform like Bill.com. So thank you, Bill.com, for sponsoring the Thrivecast. Hey, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Thrivecast. We are really excited to bring great guests on the show. We do that every month, and we've been doing that for, we're, I think we're in our 12th year of running this podcast, so it's really exciting, all the great guests we get to um, we get to bring in and teach us how to run firms in very creative and consultative ways. So, um, so you, the the guest we have today is uh, Greg Crabtree, and it's that's a name a lot of people uh, have heard. So he's a, a serial entrepreneur, financial expert. Uh, did start his own firm, Crabtree Row and Burger, a while back, and then they merged into Car Riggs and Ingram. Uh, a large, I think a top 20 firm. Uh, so a big, uh, a big firm. And it pumped that Greg's first book, Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. A lot of our listeners know that book. And if you're a CPA and you haven't read that book, uh, you need to, because <laughs> it gives you the basis of really how to run, run a business, uh, how to deal with cash flow. Uh, and his second book, Rules for Smart Scaling, which is Simple Numbers 2.0, uh, is really another awesome book. And we're we're super excited to to let people know that Greg is going to be a speaker at Deeper Weekend with me. So he gets to come hang out in Greenville, South Carolina with us. Um, and there's so many other things to his bio, but we need to jump in and find some time to answer some questions. So, Greg, thanks for being on the Thrivecast with us. We appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad yeah. glad to be here and uh, look forward to the discussion. Yeah. So I think you're um you're at a client site. So you're mm-hmm. man, you're out doing what we all do every day. <laughs> so you're you're also writing books. So um when when you talk, yeah. you're actually doing you're walking the talk that you're going to be teaching us at Deeper Weekend. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, so sometimes that's a daunting thing as well. You know, and, uh, and know. you have to eat your own cooking sometimes. So. <laughs> I know. Well, that's that's what my partner and I, when we consult with people, we say, "Hey, we're entrepreneurial consultants," which means we're we're doing. Every, we may have just fired somebody yesterday, so we're doing what you are calling us to do with you. So uh, it makes yeah. us more valuable. Um, so, G- Greg, you man, you have been in the CPA profession. Uh, a long time. How many? How many years have you been doing this? Uh, you know, I, I got out of college in 1978. So, uh, you know, and started a year. Yeah, I spent a year in Birmingham with a firm that was a, uh, had a couple of offices in Alabama, and uh, I, I was questioning my sanity that first year. And it's like, <laughs> you know, what did I sign up for? Because as a kid that grew up on a chicken farm, you know, I, I picked accounting because my mom had high respect for the person who did her tax return. And I knew they worked in an air-conditioned office. And so that was the extent of my research of what the profession did. And I mean, you know, just to be brutally honest, I mean, what we did back then was absolutely dreadful. I mean, there, there's nothing I did that first year out of school that, that's yeah. no longer done by human. Yeah. So the good news is we at least automated, you know, some of those mindless tasks in, yeah. uh, in, in that. But, but it really kind of made me start to question, you know, what, you know, what can I do with this? And, yeah. 
um, you know, you, you go through all the perfunctory beginnings of the profession of passing the exam and, yeah. and you know, learning the rules and, you know, but somewhere I, I was just really fortunate that throughout my career, uh, I left that first firm um, and got got hired by a client that was a bank, spent three years as a controller, you know, for the bank. And I, I would probably say I used more of what I learned in those three years of being a controller hmm. for the bank yeah. than I probably ever did from what I learned in public accounting. Mm. Um, it was a fascinating experience. It's where the initial cash flow model that I use today, I mean, first generation PC spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. And I got a hold of that and I said, this is cool because, yeah. you know, basically lazy at heart. And, uh, you know, yeah. I figured out it'll do this and it'll do this. And, and because I was so fascinated with it, I actually worked more hours for the bank that nobody told me to work than I did for the CBA firm. <laughs> Because I, I was just having a ball trying to yeah. figure out, you know, cool cool things to do with this neat tool. Yeah. And, uh, well, and that's that, continued. Is that why you got into, I guess, what we'll formally call consulting, which is going to be what we're going to talk a lot about at Deeper Weekend. We're going to talk about consulting and, and defining that. So what got you into mm-hmm. now Consulting, which which the way we look at it, advisory is kind of a step into yeah. that, which is what our, our profession is still trying to define even that phrase advisory. But advisory, turning yeah. numbers into making sense and then, you mm-hmm. know, insights that change people. Consulting goes even deeper. What took you down the road of consulting or did you know you were even consulting at that time? Uh, there, there was a definite intention that, that you know, it's a quick kind of a chicken and the egg question um, of, I don't know which came first, you know, working for the bank gave me tools that I needed. Um, But after three years, I mean, I I, I took a bank that reliably, my predecessor, who was a banker, not an accountant, he delivered bad data the day of the board meeting every month. Oh man. Constantly was changing and our board would ask questions and everybody had some you know, sketchy, you know, questioning of the numbers. Uh, within a few months, I was delivering a full board package by noon of the first day of the month. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, I, and, and, and the thing was, it was all about figuring out the process of going, well, there's got to be a better way. And and so to a certain certain reason, uh, I don't know if people are familiar with the, the concept of the why assessment. And so there's, mm. there's people who've done some research on, Kind of what's your personal why, and yeah. and it's tied into Simon Sinek's book Why and, and these yep. things, and and there's nine whys that in in mine it, it, every time I've, I've done the test a couple of times just to confirm it, but overwhelmingly my why is to find a better way. I, nice. I am not satisfied if something can be done better. It's like doggone it, let, let's you know, we, we need to do better than this. Yeah. And, and that was kind of generally my, my frustration with accounting because uh, I, I'll tell you, I mean, when I look at what we sell people as an opinion financial statement in this yeah. industry, we, we should feel bad about that. <laughs> um, it's know, bad. Because there, there's got to, there's got to be a better way. And, um, but what got me into consulting, though, was having discussions with clients that – I had I was fortunate enough to get successful clients, and I was mm. fortunate enough to get unsuccessful clients. Yeah, and and tried to look at the two. Why did this person succeed and this person didn't? Mm. And and yet, 
when I when I started to study my successful entrepreneurs, they were successful in spite of, of data, in spite of the camera. Mm. Yeah, okay. At least I thought initially. And then I started to figure out, no, they actually are looking at data. They're, there's these handful of numbers that they have in their head. And as long yeah. as they stay in their lane and do yeah. what they, they're really skilled at, yeah. they could use those two or three data points to really run a successful business. Now, the, the unsuccessful ones, those are the ones that they, they never establish those data points. They, they're always running with their hair on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so I tried to, to say, well, how can I help them? There's got to be a better way to teach entrepreneurs nice. yeah. you know, how to run a business with data and, and what is that data. And then the real catalyst to, to the process came in 2001 when I joined the entrepreneurs organization uh, yeah. and, and really, and, and I think this is important to the group. I quit hanging out with accountants. I started hanging out with entrepreneurs. And so my, <laughs> oh. my, my peer group became entrepreneurs and yeah. I, and I looked at myself as an entrepreneur that does accounting for and sure. Consulting, not as an accountant. And, and we, when we work with our clients who are attorneys, architects, Mm. Um, you know, uh, doctors, professional firms, mm. we always speak to them not from the profession that they're in. Right. What is what is the business that you're in? And you're mm. employing that professional skill set as a an engine of economics within that yeah. business. Nice. But you've got to run a business. Yeah. And, and you can play various roles within that business. Mm. And, and, and that is, is always kind of stuck. And then, you know, over the years, as I started to develop content, uh, traveled a good bit. I, I served on the EO Global Board from 06 to 09, which really took me around the world yeah. uh, to, to meet entrepreneurs everywhere. And I started to, and I really love the international business aspect of things too, that nice. I was able to really vet this idea. Business is business, no matter what country you're in. I don't care yeah. if you're in Kenya or if you're in you know, yeah. Georgia. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, there's some aspects that are slightly different, but no. No, business is business. Yeah, and yeah. and I, I I've been fortunate to present my material in fifteen countries around the world, and yeah, and and have clients around the world as well. And you know, it's pretty cool that you know, it, yeah, it, you, you can do it. You can do this anywhere. That's right. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about at Deeper Weekend is really leaning into the fact that we're we're all you know moving from compliance to advisory and and doing mm-hmm. sense making around numbers that lead to insights now we're doing management mm-hmm. consulting which is really getting into these longer uh, engagements of transformation with people, you know, related to their organizations, right. their their lives, their structures, their their business models, and as entrepreneurial accountants, we get to dip into you know positioning and all kinds of structures that we're we we should be getting into. We should be speaking to as coaches. And one thing you you've always done in your firms, especially after your book, you know, that is just wildly popular, is you lead with consulting. Like you don't you don't lead with right. compliance. It's like a tax return. No, you, you're like, we're going to consult, and so we'll do your tax return also. How do you lead with consulting? How do you get that conversation going? Well, well part of it is just changing the mindset. So part of it is the overarching theory that says, I want to define a customer who wants to create a planned outcome. Oh, if I nice. want to create a planned outcome to, for my, my client, it doesn't start with a audited financial statement. It doesn't start with a tax return. 
Yeah. It starts with, well, let me understand your business. Mm. And and when we tried this originally, you know, we we would, you know, kind of jump in and obviously spend a ton of time, you know, putting things together and trying mm. to get their data to model. And, and yeah. there was one group that we'd gotten some uh, some training from that they had this fixed monthly pricing model, which we like. Yeah. But but the problem was you had to spend too much time on the front end to, mm. to get deep fast enough. And, and mm. what we learned is people are willing. I mean, this is like selling drugs, people. I mean, <laughs> it's like people are willing to pay a reasonable amount if you're also really efficient at it. But we sell a planning session at the front end of the, the, mm. the session that we can give them enough immediate insight. Yeah, that to makes it well worth a day. But we learn so much about the client at that point that yeah. that becomes the base point that you then, okay, well, do you need, you know, well, one of the things I've always said is that, that I would say is a really good skill set to have is we're really good at working with bad data. Mm, and, cool. so, and, and, and you yeah. can always make sense of bad data if you have enough of it. Right. And so if you get enough of it across time, you can do some manipulations on a quick basis to make it still where you can interpret what's really going on. And what mm. what we do that's kind of magical is, you know, I, I get I love to get somebody's data and retell their story to them. Yeah. <laughs> their jaw hits the floor and you get because it right. I, I, I haven't been there. I, I'm just looking at their numbers, but because of the context of how we present it and how we go through it, they're going, how'd you know that? And it's like, Listen, I mean, the, the story is in the numbers. Yeah. But if you but you've got to learn how to interpret it and you yeah. have to then present it as a moving picture across time. Yeah. And and as you tell that story, it's like all of a sudden, I mean, they're they're just eating out of your hand because it's like they never heard this from anybody. Yeah. Well it's you a are, proof you are telling them their most inner darkest secrets about their finances that, yeah. that even they didn't know, but they but yeah. they knew. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a proof point to them. You know, we try to teach our team that numbers tell stories and you can look through the past five years of even the balance sheet, the equity side of the balance sheet and go, I know how you're fearing life, how you're over, you know, extending yourself. You know, it. you can start to really see the things they spend through their business that actually are personal, that they really have no business spending money on. And you can start to even identify Man, you are fearful of this. You struggle with this. And so I'm wondering in consulting, like if you were to equal it to 100%, what percentage is data numbers accounting? What percent is psychology and reading people and coaching? Like, is it 50-50 or is it lean more towards the psychology Um, of the the entrepreneurial person? Well, I mean, I've always said if I was going to go back to college, I would become a, I would get a, a PhD in behavioral economics. I, I mean, love it. I, I, I love literally it. spend my day in behavioral economics. I love behavioral because economics. The, da- the data doesn't matter if it doesn't change behavior. So mm. I, I, I teach some uh, entrepreneur courses uh, for EO through their accelerator program. And I do, I, I get to chair an executive ed program at Horton Business School where it's nice. kind of cool to live kid from a chicken farm hanging out with like real professors i know man at wharton come on man so that that, that's kind of nice but (laughs) i I learn from these people but 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 the idea is you know when you're teaching people in these environments one of the in the accelerator program that eo has you know one of the sessions that we we go over dashboards 
And I showed them these dashboards and I said, isn't this cool? He says, here's the thing is, you, number one, you guys don't have the data to fill this out. <laughs> so it's, number one. It's just fantasy. So yeah, it's number blank. one, somebody's going to, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, we can have this dashboard. It'd be great. Yeah, where are you going to get the data from? Secondly, <laughs> tell me, this is a cool looking dashboard. What are you going to do differently because that number's on mm. there or that number changes? Yeah. If, if you don't know why that num why I need to know it and what I'm going to do to change it, it's wasted time and data. Now you, you can have dashboard envy and you walk around, you know, you know, strutting and saying, Hey, look at these cool dashboards. Well, big right. what you do. It's like, you know, it, it just means you're just going to go out of business faster because you're, you're focused on the wrong thing. <laughs> and, and, and that's really where, like you said, it's the psychology aspect of it yeah. is saying, what is going to get me to act differently? And, and mm. through time, the things that we've found to get clients to act in their best interest, because mm. I mean, number one, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of like a doctor of finance in the sense that do no harm. I want right. to help the customer. I don't mm. want to do anything to damage them. So I got to be mindful of that. Yeah. So, so the first thing is don't sell them something they don't need. Uh, oh, by the way, you know, I re- you know, regularly talk clients out of opinion financial statements. Yeah. If, if you don't need it, why yeah. would you spend money for me to do it? That's okay, right. Well, let's focus on the things you do need. Right. And of those things, okay, well, now, you know, what data do I need to get you to look at? And so this is really where you've also got to, to as, a, as an accountant, you have to develop a belief system. Mm. not a rule system. And so we, we've developed beliefs in our simple numbers philosophy. And it's, it's, you know, it's in both books. You know, we talk yep. about, you know, number one is, you know, no distortion of, of, of personal data, distorting your, right. your business data, pay yourself a market-based wage, right. arms link transaction for right. you know, you know, related party transactions. But we yeah. also have beliefs about targets of profitability. Whereas in the first book, I, I talked about, you know, the, you know, the 5% life support, 10% is good, 15% profit's great. Yeah. Well, those were set by observation. We elevated that in the second book to really base our profit targeting now off of return on invested capital. Yeah. So I want to, I want to see any viable business to be above 50% return on invested capital based on pre-tax mm. profit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so setting those parameters really helps that entrepreneur act emotionally on it because I'm not giving mm. them a, well, that's okay. Yeah. No, they, they want a number. And right. the, the one number that I'm surprised at how often it is referenced by my clients is the, the core capital target, the two month mm. cash number. Yeah. That has been enormous to get our clients to, yeah. to get off of debt, especially the line of credit debt. Now, yeah. I'm okay with term debt. If you buy a piece of equipment or something. Like right. That. Yeah. Yeah. But getting people off of that, off the line of credit debt living off of a line of credit finance yeah when you can give somebody a specific target it is amazing to see their behavior change i I love and and those are those are cool that's cool uh real quick uh greg let's take a break for a sponsor uh message real quick and we'll be right back 
The truth is you can't grow your business if you keep doing everything on your own. You have to learn to delegate. And our friends at Belay want to help. Belay is an incredible staffing solution for growing businesses. They've got a network of U.S.-based bookkeepers, virtual assistants, social media managers, and website specialists ready to serve leaders just like you. To help you get started, Belay is offering their book, Delegate to Elevate, for free to the listeners of the Thrivecast. In this book, learn how to reclaim time by delegating to reap its most powerful multiplying benefits. To get your copy, just text the word THRIVE to 55123. That's T-H-R-I-V-E to 55123. And in no time, you'll be back to doing what you do best, grow your business. This is cool, Greg, when you're when you're you're leading by beliefs. Uh, a lot of times we'll tell our team our 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 clients are required to consume the value we output. And that and it's like they, we can't sell something that a client's not going to take in, come to the meeting, be interested, look at it, go change the behavior. If they consistently don't participate in their own transformation, you know, you've actually gotten the wrong client in the door that's you yeah. know you got to go back exactly. to the foundation you know but how do you so in consulting let me ask you this how do you a, a client can't often come and say hey there's consulting i need you to do um you know they know to ask for a tax return so how do you sell something to a client you know <laughs> they need that they don't know to ask you to purchase from you how do, how do you do that <laughs> Well, the nice thing is you hire a guy named Mike Maxson, you know, to, to, to work for you. Uh, so one of my partners, he's now a partner. No, no. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, in the early days, it was me. And and so yeah. I was the classic bottleneck because, as you as you said, I mean, I'm sitting in the client side. I, I, I spend my day, I, I really do mostly three things. Mm-hmm. I, um, I still interface directly with clients to a certain degree because, to me, mm-hmm. that's the laboratory. That's where the next new idea comes oh, from. Oh, yeah. They, mm-hmm. They're always, you know, kind of, you know, popping out, you know, here and there. Second thing, you know, I do is I do speaking events, you know, to help promote the firm. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the, you know, the third one is I, I do some, man, I'm still the partner in charge of our office, but that that's probably the, the, the least amount of time, you know, that I spend yeah. on it. Yeah. And, and so I would say I'm probably, you know, 20% firm management, 20, 40% mm. marketing, 40% mm. um, actual okay. client service. Okay. Um, now, the problem is, is that, you know, so one of our core tenants that we talk about in, in simple numbers is, Every all labor is the is the most important element, most important yep. lever that you have to create profitability yep. in business. So labor must gravitate to its highest best value. So whether it's you, your team, everybody's got to work at their highest possible value rate the most amount of the time and avoid being busy by working down rate. Okay. And so, so you, does that case, mean you delegate work down? off of exactly. your plate that you that's not your highest value that's right absolutely now and sometimes when you're smaller you know that that's an expensive proposition because you got to hire that person before they can be fully utilized mm. and and so you tend tend to try to hire people to do wear multiple hats well was, yeah. you know i was the person responding the, the first book had, had just come out and i was getting some leads you know, for, for clients between either client referrals and or yeah. speaking events and those things. Yeah. 
And, you know, a client call would come in or I I get an email from somebody. A lot of times it's mostly email. And, and, you know, you're trying to arrange a time. And back then I didn't have an assistant. So it's me emailing them back and forth. Right. Yeah. And all that. And um, so we were trying to hire a firm administrator and uh, we we hired Mike. He was a, a a EOD bomb tech in Afghanistan and Iraq. Oh, and wow. So if you can defuse bombs, you know, you're a perfect profile. Working <laughs> and so, so, so Mike comes in and <clears throat> so he just sits in on the first couple of sessions that I had and, you know, and he was listening and I was traveling one time and a call came in, somebody wanted to talk to somebody. So he just, he just mimicked what I had said in the three or four <laughs> previous sessions he'd sat in on, closed the sale. And, you know, I was like, and, and and, and, and for you're us, like, I mean, you know, you're we, like, whoa. Yeah, we, we sell these planning sessions in like a 30 minute discussion yeah. or less. Yeah. It's more about, you know, about, about 15 minutes into the call, they're saying yes. And mm. the next 15 minutes is about, you know, any any extra mm. tweaks to the, yeah. the normal session. Yeah. And when do you want to do it? You know, it's kind of become the question. And and so it's like, oh, this is cool. So. So today, I mean, if, if I get an email, you know, I usually get, you know, you know, one average about one a day. You know, I, I just respond to them and say, hey, great to reach out. Uh, I'll, I'll have Mike Maxson reach out and schedule a time, you know, do a call. Oh. And I, I am on maybe one out of 20. Yeah. And, and so he'll have about, you know, he'll he'll easily have about 300 of these discussions a year. Yeah. Yeah. Out of those. We'll we'll select about a hundred of those to be new mm-hmm. clients. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and that process works nice. And that and that comes from, you know, just because of capacity constraints. You know, us. I don't want to poke the market. We don't actually. Do, we we could do a lot more to generate more demand. It hmm. would probably just push us beyond capacity. Right now, we're we're kind of treading water with. We can add staff about as fast as, as those yeah. leads. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it, and it but, makes but Mike sense. Mike does an tr- incredible job of doing that. So. Okay. So he's so basically he's taking things off your plate that allow you to do what your highest value, yeah. right? Your zone of genius, as some people would say, which mm-hmm. is consulting with entrepreneurs. That is where yep. you can change their life. You can shine. Um, and so anything uh, that's not allowing you to do that you push off your plate now h- how do you hire a- another consultant like if you consult yeah. typically a lot of times the firm owner the founder the leader will do a lot of that high level advisory and consulting in which mm-hmm. is what me and my partner do we really manage most of that unless it's practical based financial based consulting some of our higher senior team can do it but how do you start expanding yeah. capacity around being able to do more co- consulting through other team members yeah you know i was fortunate the you know when i kind of came up with the idea and kind of framed in my head what i wanted to do with this so the first Mm. one of these sessions that the planning sessions i did was in 2009 and Mm. and there's a couple of things that i learned from that session i mean i just you know pulled a number out of my head you know and, and somebody in boston agreed to do it Mm-hmm. Um, and so I go up and do the session, you know, come back and, and it's like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. And, <laughs> and so we had one of my staff members that I felt like had the capacity to grow into that. Mm-hmm. I, you, you look at that day and say, okay, now I did everything from start to finish. How can I take this up and break it into its pieces and mm-hmm. what can be delegated and then what yeah. has to be done by me? 
And and so the first thing was is Brandon uh, Gray, who's also now uh, Brandon Gray actually now leads our consulting team. Mm. So Brandon, um, you know, he, he first learned to update a model that I'd created. Next yeah. thing he learned was how to create a model from scratch. You know, yeah. From the client. Then the next thing was he participated in calls to where he would take notes and do follow up. So I could I just had to show up for the call. Yeah. And and he's doing everything from prepping for me to be ready and then follow up, you know, if there's things that we have to do, you know, post call. And then then we swap roles and he mm. he is like play by play and color yeah. color uh, 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 the color commentators. Yeah. So we swap roles and he takes the lead. He does play by play and I just do color commentary. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm not on the call at all. Yeah, and, and, and so and, and so that that was how we did it. Now the thing is, I had the idea originally of what we wanted to mm. do. So if mm. you're doing consulting and you don't know everything that you need to do, you may have to hire somebody that's maybe a higher level, and the and the two of you you know, collaborate as mm. to what it is that you're going to do for that that client, yeah. but. Somehow, some way, you've got to move it to process. Now, yeah. from here, and, and and I'm I'm kind of a okay. This is started. I'm off to the next thing. Mm. Brandon took over the consulting team, and so Brandon does all of the training of our new consultants, and so he's mm. done an incredible job of creating a training program. That yeah. when when we first started, even though I got lucky with Brandon, I, I was concerned. You know, how could we grow the practice? Because this isn't something yeah. they teach you in school. There's That's not right. a course to go to per se. Right. And it's like, how, how is this going to work? Well, you know what? I can hire a consultant a whole lot easier than I can hire a tax person. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's really amazing. There, there's actually plenty of people to pick wow. from to do consulting. Yeah. Now, mm. there, and, and sometimes if they've done some other type of consulting, I have mm. to get them to say, well, that's all well and good, but here's the way you do it with us. Yeah. Because we have right. we have one way that we see data. Yeah. And that's the simple numbers way. Yeah, and but it's it's proven pretty reliable that uh, yeah. you know, that there there's not a question we can't answer in, in most businesses taking our approach, and um, you know, and we've had some people that you know kind of wanted to, to you know expand the playbook a little more than they should and yeah. make people move along, but um, <laughs> but we can get we can we can get a uh, we have two roles we have an, we have what I call a business analyst is that lower mm-hmm. level entry-level person that is yeah. updating models, building models, yeah. and sitting in on calls and taking notes. Yeah. Some of those people will always just be a business analyst. Some yeah. of them will mm. elevate and grow into being a consultant. We've got okay. to do that. Okay. Some people we hire directly in as a consultant. But either way, we're actually profitable on those people within two weeks. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and 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 some of the some of the things you're describing are some of the you know it's those uh, those McKinsey's, the Boston Consulting Group. You know those groups really do leverage those those analysts mm-hmm. and consultants, those kind of layers. And what you were just describing on the process to to hire a consultant is interesting. It's really that's an entrepreneurial leverage type process you go mm-hmm. through that your clients need to be doing that as well so it you stepped so, outside of the world of 
that's not what accountants do. That's what con- entrepreneurs do to move their business forward and pull the greatest value out of our roles. And so I like how you do consulting and you know numbers, but that's a thing you do that you sell. You're also an entrepreneurial consultant and you grow that consulting business in the way somebody would grow an entrepreneurial organization. And maybe would you say firm owners need to switch their mindset, especially the owners, right? The owners are entrepreneurs and they need to position themselves well, price appropriately, sell new services, take risks, leverage themselves and stop doing things they shouldn't. So these are all entrepreneurial tasks. It like how far has our profession come for the owners to be able to make that switch or, or are they doing it at all? You know, I I think it's hit or miss. Um, Mm. You know, the the best example, we had a client that was a plastic surgeon, and he had four offices in California. And mm. and so I did the first process with him, and they were breaking even. But he yeah. wanted to get out of surgery and just be the practice <clears throat> manager. Mm. I said, okay, well, let me, let me get this straight. So if you do two <laughs> surgery days a week, two office days a week, and play golf on Friday, you can make a million dollars as a plastic surgeon. And the most I can craft for you as a salary to run the practice is maybe two hundred fifty three thousand dollars yeah why are you yeah and that's the first thing i i I, you know when you're a high earning professional Mm. are you making the right choice because can you got to really scale an organization to take really high income producing capability Mm. to be a non-billable role in the business For sure. There is a finite salary scale for yeah. I, I can't be making a half a million dollars as the practice manager when I'm not billing anything and it's a two million dollar practice. Yeah. So you why know, it, why you did get that away with it for a little while? But yeah. yeah. But why did that entrepreneur think like that? What maybe he wasn't thinking like an entrepreneur. What 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 is the mindset of some is he going the surgery's just too stressful, man. I don't want to do it anymore. And we're like, that sorry, you're 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 a surgeon and you kind of can't go delegate that, you know. What was it was his well, thinking he, he, just he was, wrong? Well he was kind of fascinated with business, which I get it. You know, okay. But, but the you know, but but the funny thing was, he actually was quite good at marketing. Uh, but mm. he, you know, the thing was is um, he, he had a sixty percent close rate <clears throat> for service, and mm. all of his other doctors had thirty five percent. And I said, well, the easiest thing to do to fix all your, your make you very much more profitable is you need to do all the presentations because yeah. these other doctors are they suck at it. Which, <laughs> this is an important point that people need to understand. And and he says, oh, well, that's just not how it's done. He says, well, who made that rule? I said, the person's asleep when they're having the surgery done. They don't know who's working on them. I mean, you, you can tell them, but it's like, listen, I mean, marketing is a distinctly different thing than the delivery of the service. And, and so now, and, and this is my complaint with the profession in general. In the mm. profession in general, we believe in book of business. Yes, I, I, am, right. I am anti book of business. That's I mean, bad, man. Now, now our firm kind of believes in that that, that we're most in with, and I can't change that. But for our office, every client's a firm client. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know. Now, granted, I probably brought, I was probably the catalyst that brought in ninety plus percent of it. 
Mm. But big deal. I mean, if, if I got run over by, by a truck tomorrow, we'd still get clients because yeah. the content is still there. The people mm. who can do the work are still there. There's no reason why that would stop yeah. in, in, in that process. But we've distributed the responsibility. There's people like a Mike Maxson to do the on, the closing of the contract and onboarding yeah. of the client. There's yeah. coordinators to schedule calls that aren't billable people. Yeah, that, you know, coordinate to get data in to get it on yeah. somebody's schedule to do, mm. um, and and then there's people technicians who do the work of whatever level that needs to be done, mm. and and so it's a distributed work that fits our, our our goal of that, and and to be quite honest, it's a very nicely profitable. It's more profitable than anything else in the accounting profession, yeah, the, of the traditional services. Yeah, and now here here's. Here's the other thing that I will tell you is the secret sauce is tell and, us. And, I, and I don't mind telling you because most of you won't do it, but those, <laughs> those that you do will find enormous success. <clears throat> we live on a scheduled environment. I don't yeah. carry a to do list. <clears throat> I have a calendar. Everything that I know that I'm supposed to do is on my calendar. <laughs> it's, if it's a task, it's blocked out on a specific date and time length. If it's an appointment, it's obviously on the calendar. And anybody, if somebody wants to task me to do something, they can go look at my calendar. And if, if I haven't blocked it off to keep them from doing it, they're free to schedule it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and all of our consulting team works off of that process. And so it's yeah. very much adapted. If people are familiar with the agile uh, yeah. development philosophy that they use yeah. in software development, it's, it's an adaptation of kind of our, our consulting team coordinator who also serves as my personal assistant. Mm. She she is the scrum master in essence. Yeah. Of, yeah. She sees all of the, the consulting team's calendars and mm. makes sure it's all load leveled, yeah. should shift work. Mm. And, and that's a person that's an administrative person. They're not an accountant. But but they're but they have the nuance and the insight to go. I mm-hmm. see where the greatest value load should be shifted, and that's a judgment mm-hmm. call. And you need a certain right. kind of person to do that. So now we're building yeah. accounting firms where we don't need accountants. We need other smart people making capacity related right. decisions for a consulting department. And that's now now that's different. So that's starting mm-hmm. to act like an entrepreneurial organization. And things like you're right. saying, the book of business holds us back and anchors us into some past where right. the partner has to do all the book of business work. They can't delegate because they're getting paid based off their book of business instead of getting right. a salary from an entrepreneurial organization. And so a lot of what you're talking about is really just shifts in mindsets and how to operate our businesses better. And on this, so we don't ask any of our producers to sell anything to the client. Right. But but right. if there's a billing question, if there's a, a change order that needs to happen, I don't ask them to price it to the client. They, right. they get Mike Maxson. That's Mike's, right. Mike's the one that has it. And so I get consistency of pricing across all of the clients. From one person doing that work. Mike is much better at it. Yeah. And the the service person will not defend their value the vast majority of the time. That's they, right. They give stuff away. Your That's staff, right. if they if you ask them to price things to the customer, they will give your stuff away. <laughs> Don't because do it. 
Well, they're technicians, and you want them. You need technicians. You want them to be, and you have senior, junior, you know, brand new technic. You have all kind of levels of technicians, but you business related efforts of of pricing and marketing don't necessarily have to be done by accountants. But I think our profession has had us do everything, and we need to start hiring people that run businesses better than we do or help us. It's an incredible waste of, of that person who should be billing now. The thing is, now, if that person doesn't want to be billing anymore, now, I, and I can't say that I blame them if they're mm-hmm. doing traditional work, but I, I kind of like what I get to do every day. Yeah. So, I mean, I, hey, I, I'll, I'll turn 65 this year, but I have no no designs on stopping what I'm doing, you know, because I, it's fun. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I may be talking about, you know, inventory, you know, questions with my client that I'm on site with today, but we're having fun with this discussion because I'm helping them take data, correlate it, and then what are we going to do based on that correlation Change. of the things that we figured out? Yeah. And and that's that's fun. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It changes people. Well, let me ask you some other questions about running a consulting practice. Mm-hmm. And we're getting close to time here. But if a firm wants to move towards more of what you say is a productized consulting mm-hmm. basis, what do you even mean by productizing your consulting? I think I've been hearing you talk about it, but do, no. like really explain practically what you mean by that. Well, I mean, it, just think of it as you, know, you have to establish a playbook of saying these are mm-hmm. the things that we believe in that mm-hmm. we've got demonstrated capability that we know it works, it creates results. And I can reliably price it on a fixed price basis and control the scope to know if I go outside of that scope, okay, raise your hand, that's a change order, do it's you obvious. really want us to do that? Yeah. Or I can stay within <clears throat> the scope. I mean, pricing theory is, is really simple. The highest potential profit is when you bill on a fixed price basis and mm-hmm. that, that you scope correctly and you yeah. manage to the outcome. Right. If I can't, if people bill by the hour, so here's my favorite you know, gripe of the accounting profession. <laughs> when you bill by the hour, there's only two possible outcomes. Mm. You either gave away your expertise or you charge for your ignorance. <laughs> That's the only thing that can happen by billing by the hour. And and so get out of that and say, what am I doing? Now, if I can't see the whole, maybe I have to do it in stages. Okay, well, each stage is a fixed price, priced event. Yeah. And you progress through it, you know, at each stage. But what is the bite size that I can do? Well, what you find is we, we keep all the accountants who want to tell themselves that they're consultants. It's a random pot of stew. That, yeah. Know, it's like it, it could be a thousand different things. Like, no, 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 no. Focus in on what matters. That you know, Now, these other you can do these other things as kind of side things. And we do some we have some some consulting uh, products that we do that's outside of our core, but the simple numbers consulting, we have it defined that the only thing that really drives the price differently is, are we coming to you for a day? Are you coming to us for a day? Are we doing it over some remote sessions? Yeah. And, and, and that gets it productized. Yeah. Um, Secondly, I will tell you that every, every client that we had in 2009 um, that we still work with today has still Mm. never bought this service. Because mm-hmm. they knew us in a different fashion. Oh, I see. Yeah. If, if you're successful in selling it to existing clients, good on you. I mean, that, that that's great. It's going to be really hard because they yeah. know you in a different way. 
That's right. And so the idea is it becomes a process to start growing to say, mm. this is now how we're going to do it. And every new client that comes in, they're going to do it this way or else they won't be a client. Yeah, I love it. Well, let me, so let me ask you one last question is, you know, and, and I'm with you, uh, moving away from billing by the hour. We probably haven't billed by the hour in a decade or more. It, yeah. What that does is it steps accountants outside of how they think, which is very linear, right? They want to calculate a price. They want to multiply that times that. And, and go, I'm right. I just did a calculation. I know the price is right. And so pricing by the hour locks them into that. When you step into this world of value-based price, and, and you know as well as I do, that price can be anything we dream up or think up uh, based upon the value we're providing. What's How do you give comfort to an entrepreneurial consultant who's an accounting, running an accounting firm, and help them know the price can't really be calculated. It's a judgment based upon how we feel, and it's something we get to choose to want to be paid if that client is willing to do it. Like, that's very uncomfortable for a lot of people. How do you help them with that discomfort? Well, I mean, I I, I think you, you kind of start off with, you know, you also have to get the market to accept. So I'm, yeah. I'm very much a market pricer. So it's not yeah. about the hours. You know, hours yeah. is a cost measure. It's not a value measure. And, and, and so now over time, you got to look at it and say, I have to create enough margin to survive and cover my overhead and make a profit. Yeah. But over time, you start to push that value number. So you're doing two things. What we've gotten better at is that $2,500 event that I started for the first one mm-hmm. is now probably an $8,000. Right. Yeah. Uh, plus travel that I didn't yep. charge for the first one. But we've also gotten much faster at it. Mm. Our processes have gotten better. Right. And our intellectual uh, property value of the things that we know from all the data sets that we see mm. just add incredible intangible value yeah. that, you know, just really makes the client relationship sticky <clears throat> when that's a client that really needs what you're doing. Um, yeah. And. And, and so I think it's just one of those things that you, you you have a starting point and you just keep pressing and finding the edge. Yeah. Where's the okay. edge? Where's the edge in, in that process? The other thing about hourly though is you're giving you're you're giving up control of the outcome if you bill by the hour mm. because the client is more driving the the interaction with you instead mm. of. I'm selling you a solution and I'm driving the interaction. Yeah. I'm prompting you to get your data each month. I'm prompting you to do the call. I'm prompting you to get your data to do a tax estimate and cash flow planning for estimated taxes. I'm, I'm um, you know, and, and you're, I'm, I'm prompting you to close your books time. Yeah. And, yeah. and, oh, I'm prompting you to clean up the, the, you know, the, the mistakes that are on your, your books that we see yeah. from the consulting data that, hey, you're not you're not doing revenue recognition correctly and you're, right. you're causing problems for yourself. Mm. And, and so when you're doing it from a product standpoint, you're much more proactive than reactive. Right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you lose a lot of your value when you're reactive. You know, that now exactly. the, the client starts to project manage you and they they lose respect sometimes and don't perceive value in trying to manage you and your technical team, um, you know. Yeah. In well, the, there's in the plenty of times do. they look at, you know, you might spend an hour on something. Uh, I'm not paying $200 for that or $500 right. or whatever right. the number is. Right. It's like, well, it, it, it's not, you know, yeah, <laughs> I had to do that. But, 
you know, yeah. and, and you're just you're just negotiating from a point of weakness when you talk about how. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. And I guess what we have to do is, as consultants is to we need to stop talking about two hundred dollars. <laughs> we need to have conversations up front and start selling things for 10 grand and, and wrestle through that with that client and promise them and, you know, be put on the hook to take the responsibility to deliver 10,000 level of value to that client and start to transform them. Uh, when you put yourself in that place, it forces you, right? Cause you're going to show up yeah. to a client on site and boy, you're going to prepare. If they gave you a $10,000 check, you are going to make sure you spent a lot of time. So you don't look like a fool when you walk into their office. <laughs> well, I mean, I think most accounting firms, if you did the Pareto analysis, if you do stack rank, all your revenue by customer yeah. and, and you take what's, what's the top, um, what's the top tw- uh, 20% customers? Yeah. What does that 20% level customer pay you yeah. a year? Yeah. And and you're going to be 80% of your revenue is going to come from 20% of your clients. Yeah. Well, under our model, that's not the case. Mm. 80% of our, our revenue you know, comes from probably, um, you know, about you know, 40 to 50% of our clients. I mean, we, mm. we have a much flatter client mm. revenue curve. There's no... Yeah. There's no one whale. There's no one client that is yeah. significant, so That's significant nice. to us. I wouldn't yeah. want to lose them, but but it's like okay, yeah, yeah. all right, have a great life. Yeah, and I love it. There, there's somebody that wants that slot. We let you leave anyway. So yeah, very cool. Well, Greg, we're done. We uh, we've taken all your time, and I cannot wait for you to come hang out with us in Greenville. Um, everybody's going to be super excited. Like what what one thing is you're talking to an accounting firm owner right now that's listening. Like and and they want to become an entrepreneur. What's what's the first thing you would tell them to do? Read your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I think the, I always think the the first illumination is is look at your own practice because mm. you have a business. Yeah. What you know? Are you actually running your business under mm. an entrepreneurial mindset yeah. versus a practice mindset? Yeah, and and I would say that you know until you can run your own business as an entrepreneur and not mm. as a practice per se, you're gonna you're gonna struggle with the entrepreneurial consulting world. You, you you'll be yeah. able to give consulting in some some narrow technical expertise, yeah. but and and you'll be able to do you know what people. You know, I I don't consider consulting what you know like fractional CFOs. Yeah. We, we do not refer what we do as fractional CFO work. Now, mm. now the thing is, what we do eliminates the need for a fractional CFO, mm. but it goes way beyond that because nice. it really is a cohesive understanding of here's your business model and here is your your wealth building engine. Yeah. Is it, it? Do you have a green light to grow it? Do mm. you have a warning light that you need to fix it? And based on the market conditions, you know, what, what are your plans? And, yeah. you know, our, our clients look to us for a lot of guidance as to where do we see the marketplace going for their industry. Yeah. And because we work, you know, we're not geographically dependent. My clients mm. are all over the U.S. and some international yeah. as well. Mm. We get a lot of data points to be able to weigh in to our yeah. clients. And, nice. and they, they rely on us to give them some guidance. 
Yeah, I love it. Well, cool. Thanks, Greg, for for joining us on the show. And listeners, we want to let you know we have a growth, uh, you know, Why Growth Matters book that you can download and you'll see uh, in the show notes. And it'll help you understand a lot of principles about growth uh, in your firm to start applying a lot of these things. So we can't wait to see you at Deeper Weekend in October. Thank you for listening to the Thrivecast. We'll check you next time. Take care. 